The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Gents, I am your host, Akila C. Thompson. Thank you for listening in to the Keeping It Beauty show. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms that are listening. Know that you are celebrated every day, not just on Mother's Day. Shout out to all our loyal listeners who've been listening to our show since we first started. Uh, we started the Keeping It Beauty show. I can't believe time is flying almost a year ago on another platform. And this week actually marked the 26th week on W4CY Radio and iHeartRadio. So we're super excited. Um, at all the shows that we've had thus far and just thank you for your continued support if you're listening to the show for the first time you are certainly in for a treat tonight you can catch up on the show and listen to our archive shows on iHeartRadio.com and you can search Keeping It Beauty every Monday we're here at 9pm Eastern Standard Time and we aim to inspire you to elevate your dreams your love and your life tonight all I can say is I'm usually excited about shows but tonight I am extremely excited and all I can say is just wow we have have two amazing powerhouse women as our guests tonight as we talk shifting language into action, turning lemons into lemonade. I told you lemonade was coming back. Every once in a while, we do a hot topic show. And tonight, we're going to dive into Beyonce's lemonade, girls in violence, and Trump. So I'm going to dive right into, we want to get as much uh, meat in this conversation as we can tonight. So to go on to introduce our, our guests, we have Liz Alexander. MAMSW is a thought leader, public servant, and advocate for justice-involved youth. Liz is committed to working in partnership with justice-involved girls to end the pipeline of girls into the juvenile justice system. We also have with us this evening Melanie C. Jones, uh, who has a Master's in Divinity and is a womanist ethicist, millennial preacher, and intellectual activist. She currently serves as an adjunct instructor at American Baptist College and is a current PhD student in ethics, theology, and culture at Chicago Theological Seminary. Now, these ladies have impressive bios that would take me the whole show to read both of them to you, but I'm just so excited to have them both here with us this evening. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hello. Well, I want to dive into the show, but before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of our conversation, I actually wanted to just so our listeners know, how do the two of you know each other? Like, I've had the privilege of reading both of your bios and know that you've co-authored some work together. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, go, go ahead, Melanie. I'll, 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 go ahead, I'll Liz. back on you. <laughs> well, Liz and I uh, were both students at Chicago Theological Seminary. Liz finished 
finished her master's in religious leadership last year, and I've been working on my PhD. Um, so about two years ago, we went to Ghana um, to the um, African Diaspora Women's Conference in Legon, Ghana, um, at the University of Ghana and Trinity University there, Trinity Seminary there. And we were really passionate about dealing with my work is focused focuses on black women's bodies, um, and Liz's work focuses on trauma and relationships. So we were interested in looking at ways narratives, particularly memoirs and autobiographies, um, give us insight into issues facing black women's bodies and also mm-hmm. how they navigate these traumas by reclaiming their selves and identity, much like what Beyonce is doing in Lemonade. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> We looked at uh, Maya Angelou's work, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, Stacey A. Chin, The Other Side of Paradise, Lama Javawi's uh, Mighty Be Our Powers, as well as Janet Mock's Redefining Brilliance. Mm, wow. Okay. That sounds, and what, what's the name of it? So that, I mean, our listeners, if they want, because I mean, that just sounds like something that I need to go read like now, just based on your summary of it. So what is it called? When Cage Bodies Testify. Um, continental and diaspora African women's memoirs as sacred texts. Did you want to add something, Liz, before I transition us? No, I was just going to say, I'm so glad uh, Melanie spoke to that because I could not have have said any of that. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, I, but I also wanted to add, um, yes, in addition to me focusing on relationships, I also focus on um, just the use of, of narrative and speaking your truth as a, a mode of healing. And like, you know, and I'm not going reiter- to reiterate what Melanie said, but um, it, it definitely relates to what we're going to go into when we talk about Lemonade. Yeah. So let's just get into it. So as we all know, on April 23rd, as the USA Today puts it, you know, Beyonce gave us Lemonade, which is a living, breathing love letter to black women and a sweeping meditation on the emotional gauntlet we're so often expected to run in silence. The crosses we're expected to die on daily, the betrayal we're told to unflinchingly absorb and the song of liberation we're expected to swallow. I thought it was just so powerful and how they put it. So uh, I would love to get the opinion of the two of you. How would you describe Lemonade and like what did it really mean to you? What does it you know mean to, um, to specifically black women? Liz, you want to start? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll um, you know, speak to it first. Um, you know, I, I think, so let me just, you know, just really big up Beyonce, right? And her <laughs> ability to be vulnerable, you know, especially um, since the way that we hold her in the society, right? I mean, she is like the epitome of womanhood, the epitome of sexiness, the, in some ways, the, epi- the epitome of like perfection, you know, mm, and so for yeah. this woman um, who whose society um, has really held her, you know, to embody these things, for her to really, you know, come out through her artistry and say, look, you know, um, it happened to me too, right? And we could talk about the it happening. We can go deeper into that. But, you know, I, I hurt too, right? Or I was betrayed too, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I bleed too, right? So mm-hmm. I think in this, you know, she she humanized herself through her artistry. So um, what she did was literally, she, she called it out. She named it. You know, she laid herself bare. And I feel like she invited us on a journey, on a redemptive journey um, to what we as womenists like to call uh, redemptive self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, so, which really is just a re- reclamation of, of our power. 
you know, mm. the most um, pain, like through the most uh, horrific thing you could have experienced or through the most painful event. But it's just like, look, yet I, yet I still live. You know, and yet I heal, and yet I can forgive, and yet I still have the ability to love. Mm. Mm. Melanie. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think Liz hit it right on the head. This is Beyonce's best work, um, not just because it is kind of artistically sound and uh, just breathtaking in its both artistry in its lyrical content in its music um but this is also a very um although it is spoken to be somewhat of a personal kind of exchange where she brings us into um her life whether it is um the experience that she traces from her family from her mother's context or even to her own she brings us into this experience of betrayal um Ooh. of asking questions Questions of what does it mean to be in love um, and how uh, how do we navigate love relationships that also torture us at times um, the line that she um, uses was uh, you know that my lover is also my torturer you know and this this is a curse that comes um, from a generation this is a part of uh, men who have been in my bloodline that have participated in these kinds of acts um, this is an entryway or a pathway that many women, black women in particular, but many women can identify with the experience of trying to uh, be in love, but also navigate rejection and, and betrayal. Um, Alice Walker says, a woman in love is a woman in trouble. Um, and so this is always kind of, we are always navigating what does it mean to be particularly black women in love and be connected to our men and women folk and all kinds of folk that we are in love with but also um, be faithful and loyal to those relationships as well mm -hmm. so you've hit on a lot of the the artistry that was apparent in in the individual album there was a lot of you know imagery and there's so much symbolism that you could miss you know and and I I, I admire and some of the the reviews that I've been that I've been um, reading and how people have been able to break down, you know, all of the different, you know, gods and so forth that they say are present. And so in your review, cause I know Liz, I know you had a lemonade party. What were in, in what you've seen and what you've heard, like were the most, I guess, symbolic and important to, to you and, and you think to women um, in, in the album. So I think, thank you for asking that question because, um, yes, in my, in my, um, in the gathering that I held to really, you know, explore Lemonade, what I found, uh, which was interesting, but which is, you know, clearly expected is that, um, you know, each person had their own perspective, you know, of the imagery. So like literally, you know, um, a sister friend, it was one of the scenes where, um, I think Beyonce was in red, like she dressed in red or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know this sister, this particular sister said that 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 um that scene reminded her of um of like menstruation, mm -hmm. you know, or something to that effect. And I was just like, wow, you know, like <laughs> I could not have I, that. Like to me, I, I I just could not have ever made the connection, you know. But that was out of her own context, out of her own experience. You know, and then when I think of just, you know, to go back on which or what she added, just even when we talk about the power of menstruation, period. Right. So I think um, 
for me, menstruation is, is such a cleansing process. And again, when we look at how Beyonce, you know, chooses to one, not suffer in silence, right? Which many women do, black women in particular, you know, and how, you know, instead she chose to, you know, just really um, expose herself. I see some synergy or some parallelism or even just validity in how this sister interpreted that particular scene as, as um, you know, as, as relating to like the menstruation process. But as far as the imagery, I mean, where do I begin? You know, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. how, you know, she brought in, I felt like she brought in the, the uh, diversity of her identity, you know, as a, a Creole descended woman, as a um, African center, um, I mean, a, a woman of African descent. Um, as an artist, as a daughter, right? As as a woman who is is um, of legacy, of powerful legacy, um, just so many things, right? As a singer, as a, I mean, it was it was so much, it was so much. Um, but but yeah, I thought you know, um, I thought she was really strategic, and um, and what she chose, and it was definitely a visceral experience. You know, at the end of it, I I almost wanted to shout because it was very much <laughs> spiritual. Yeah. You know, it was very much church like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. When I look at, I mean, it's ripe with God talk, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just look at the titles of each of the songs, uh, mm-hmm. from forgiveness, intuition, apathy, um, and then right. even in resurrection, I mean, she names it like not only looking at kind of Christian perspectives, but all across African traditional religions, looking at magic, right? Looking at kind of root doctors and uh, ways that uh, black women have been a part of this legacy of making a way out of no way. Um, but I like this line in her resurrection song when she says, when your back's up against the wall and your wall is up against your back, who do you call? Who do you call? Mm-hmm. You got to call him. You got to call Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely making a clear connection um, that black women identify with Jesus because Jesus identifies with us. Um, and there is um, some connection um, that that can be found within um Beyonce's work as this kind of reliance on Jesus, but also seeing even when Jesus is not enough, turn into magic. She, in another song, she talked about how you know she was coiled. Uh, she had uh, fasted and prayed for a, a, a significant period of time. She had wore white. She was coiled in her mm-hmm. like, you know, in her holy Bible, and it still didn't work. He's, you know, somebody was still cheating on her. So mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. she's willing. She's willing to really work out her own soul salvation, and it. If Jesus not hitting it today, she gonna try something else, right, to mm-hmm. make this work. Um, right. And I think that speaks to again the syncretism, but also ways in which Black women have maintained, you know, very kind of um, uh, strategic faith commitments um, and able to really kind of work their magic by using and manipulating in many ways various faith commitments in order to put them towards their the, their own end. And this is what resurrection means, right? Resurrecting, calling forth, remembering those spirits, right, and putting them to work when it's when it's needed. You know, and I also want to add on top of that, you know, just how um, when we talk about survival strategies, um, particularly for black women and uh, how we go back into our own uh, generational narrative. Right. Because even with the whole, you know, when she mentions um, and I and I love how she actually uses that was that was a, a, a scene from from Jay-Z's grandmother's um, 
Yeah, for her birthday party. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought that was powerful, right? To take the, um, you know, the words of, you know, in this context, the violator. You know what mm. I mean? Like, take from his family, you know, um, powerful black women speaking. But my whole point was, um, you know, just her using these, these survival strategies that were passed down through generations. So, yes, like Mel Melanie um, brilliantly pointed out, you know, using faith. Right. And then again, using um, using uh, song. Right. I mean, using um, just several different things, you mm -hmm. know. And so, I, you know, I just think that's important. Um, and then when we look at how we contextualize that now um, in contemporary society, I just think as we as black women deal with pain, as we deal with, you know, the things we're going through that we go through, how much of that stuff did mama use how much of that mm -hmm. stuff did, did grandmama use mm -hmm. and then what is our responsibility to continue to pass that down right i think what's so beautiful about lemonade is how it has sparked such conversation among women and not just black women but women of all ethnicities and how they're able to see a piece of themselves or not in this um in this lemonade um visual album the piece that really got me was when she is at the top of the building and she jumps mm -hmm. and for me even in saying that I get chills of just remembering that because suicide and you know having suicidal ideation is such taboo and especially mm -hmm. the black community and I love that and going back to um, Liz's earlier comment of how she humanized herself and is able for us to connect with us and say, you know, I've been there too. You know, there have been things that have happened in my life that have took me to the edge. And then even in her jumping in the water, mm -hmm. there, there may have been other symbolism behind that, but I could just relate to times where I've just so overwhelmed mm -hmm. with, you know, the hurt, with the pain, with um, expectations, with, you know, trying to fit in and just feeling so overwhelmed. And, and, and it was just... I, I went through so many different emotions and watching the album that I, I literally had to call my boyfriend like afterwards and like say, you know what? I love you because <laughs> it just really took you on this journey of, you know, the the infidelity, you know, the the healing process and then forgiveness and then just back to love. Right, you know, right. like and 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 that was just just so breathtaking in, in in the whole experience and just what I took away from it, uh, and and as we've been talking, we've been hitting on a lot about the infidelity, and uh, I was reading something earlier today, and um, you know, uh, Tina knows Lawson was saying that you know it could be about anyone's marriage, you know, in reference to there's so much speculation about you know is this really about Jay Z's infidelity, and she says that you know I think everybody at one time or another has been portrayed and lied to, and it's about the pain and. It's about the healing process and about how do you get past that and move on. And there's just been so much conversation. I've seen all these memes about, you know, this was like the greatest marketing scheme of all time. And it's like, do we even care if Jay-Z cheated? Like, I feel like sometimes people are, they get uh, distracted and they're missing the, the, the real message here. That there was, you know, something for us all to learn um, by really paying attention to what she was, she's saying here. I think what 
what's so powerful about Lemonade is its ability to speak to so many women's experiences. I think I kind of said this before. And for me, um, you know, Jay-Z, if if he cheated or did not cheat, is is kind of, uh, you know, aside from what Beyonce is really trying to get to, I think. Um, and it is about being able to uh, tell one story, whatever it may be, not being silenced by um, the conditions of betrayal or uh, torture in any way and then able to both rebirth oneself redeem oneself and kind of um, uh, seek one's own redemption and love for self um, so I think that that is more so the central focus mm-hmm. of what she's trying to get than the infidelity itself but if this is um, at all about something that ha- <laughs> has happened in their marriage I think it speaks again to Beyonce's brilliance in the fact that she has made her personal, not just political, but now prophetic, in a sense that um, she has made the kind of personal issues within her life able to make claims against a larger social narrative about uh, women being betrayed. Mm-hmm. And I and I can tell you, I was laughing with my boyfriend because my boyfriend likes Lemonade. He, uh, he, he doesn't want to admit to liking it, but you know what song he don't like? Don't hurt yourself (laughs) because it just sends so many messages. And I think for him, he could see me getting to that point at, at, you know, in in the future if anything were to ever happen. And I'm like, wow, it's so powerful that, you know, she is, has gotten that message of like that anger and that rage that a woman can go to so clearly that he's like, "Uh -uh, I don't like that song. Right. 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 And I also I also appreciate her line like if it happens again it's over like so it's it's not like this is just about to be a you know a kind of open door you know and I'm gonna survive whatever you bring to me but like no we made it through this whatever it was um, but the next time it, it might not be like this right so it's it is this again it is this redemption of oneself like. I determine, I am the agent, right? I determine what becomes my reality. I am not determined by what happens to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just wanted to add too, um, you know, Jay-Z's role, like even looking at him, um, vi- like hit literally the role he played in, in Lemonade, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and with that, with that symbolized, at least for me, for black love, you yeah. know, um, so one, I, one, I think it, it, it humanized black love. I mean, we have, you know, I feel like just in general, black love is just so demonized, you know, but when we talk about, um, you know, just the redemptive, re- the, the, just the whole, the, um, I'm sorry, just redemption in general, you know, is what I mean. Um, you know, I think what Beyonce did was provide space for, for also for Jay-Z to be redeemed. Mm. You know, and so him laying at her feet, you know, him, him being silent, you know, while she, um, you know, was speaking her piece. You know, him not into interfering, him being in compliance, mm-hmm. you know, I thought was um, really humbling. And especially mm-hmm. um, since he also represents a powerful symbolism. He does. He does. Yeah, yeah that's, so, that's so, so true. Well, okay, we got to transition to our next topic, but I just <laughs> wanted to, yeah, we, we, we could stay on this for the whole show. But I wanted to, you know, if there were any, I mean, just last minute takeaways from the album that, you know, you can say, you know, what are the takeaways? I think, you know, we kind of nailed the, on most of them. But if there's anything else that you would say would be a direct takeaway regarding like you know the the limits that life may give us um you know and how do we make lemonade 
Yeah, I think just the the, the water imagery, the lemon the lemonade imagery, um, this feeling that you named about early on feeling like she was underwater, um, mm-hmm. then breaking free from that water, right? Really like pushing it out into the street. And then ultimately um, in this kind of baptism narrative or uh, the song, she talks about how this water can produce another a kind of rebirth of self. All of that speaks to, again, the, the real matter magic of lemonade the ability to spin the gold and to ultimately change sour situations and make them better you know and i would i would just say um you know i think it's so imperative you know that we make a commitment to be whole you know i mean no more silence you know no more hiding no more shame i mean we need to name our stuff and we need to get on the journey to healing you know, forgiveness and redemption, whatever that looks like. So I also saw Lemonade as a call to action, mm. particularly for black women. It's time for us to get whole and heal. Mm. Amen. And then hold those people accountable and then remove them, uh, remove them from our lives if All necessary. All right. All right. Well, that was perfect. You dropped the mic on that. <laughs> Shift. Shifting to our conversation around girls and violence, I, mean, I mentioned uh, in our previous show about Amy Joyner Francis, who's a 16-year-old sophomore at Howard High School in, of Technology in Wilmington, Delaware, who was killed in a fight. And based on some, some news updates today, they say that Amy died from a cardiac incident that was vulnerable because of a pre-existing heart condition, but the cardiac incident would not have occurred if she had been assaulted. So, I mean, this is indeed a tragedy. And um, for me, it's one of the the key reasons as to why I do a lot of the work that I do with young people, specifically girls, because, you know, this this whole fighting is not something new. This is something that's been going on, you know, since I was a teenager. So I just like to, you know, ask because because I know what what my um answers are to this but i just like to know what you think the cause of violence amongst girls is like what what brings girls to this point of needing to act out um and be violent towards each other liz you wanna start? yeah so <laughs> um i mean so many so many thoughts come in my mind um because I, I really i really um think context is so so key Right. And so I don't want to generalize it, you know, and if I were to generalize it, you know, I would think, you know, maybe trauma at home. But then I also don't want to pathologize girls either, because not everyone is is from, you know, harmful, chaotic, toxic home environments. Right. You know, Um, so but then I think of Audre Lorde's work eye to eye. And, you know, and in this piece, she just talks about uh, how we how we as black women or or black girls, you know, look at each other. you know, from a space of hatred, you know, but we actually project the hatred of ourselves on, on, on each other, you know? And so when I think about this particular uh, situation with Amy, you know, and just from what I've read, you know, okay, it could have been over a boy. I'm hearing it probably wasn't over a boy, but I also heard too that, um, you know, allegedly the, the, the girl who Amy, you know, had beef with, you know, she told her friends, look, if Amy gets the best of me, I need y'all to jump in. You know, and I've been in those situations as, as a girl growing up, too. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, for sure. And so when I, when I get still and place myself back there, you know, in that space, you know, I think about, well, what was the implications for me if I didn't jump in? 
you know, then then I then would be bullied or I would be mm-hmm. ostracized or I would be, you know, a, a target, you know, for violence too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm and I, I'm t- I'm I'm going back to answer the question on what what leads to violence among girls. Um, I I just feel like there's not one answer. I feel like, and I and I don't think we should generalize it either. I think it really uh-huh. depends on on context. And I mm-hmm. think in this situation, you know, um, many factors played played in it. You know, um, so personal beef for whatever if it was involving a boy or not, and then um, for the friends, you know, pressure pressure to support a friend um, who who essentially was going to get beat up. Mm. In this context, mm-hmm. Melanie, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think particularly um, in my work as a womanist ethicist, I deal a lot with ways in which um, society, particularly America, has been hostile to Black women. And if I make that claim about uh, the society's hostility to Black women uh, through issues such as patriarchy and misogyny and um, uh, issues of classism and homophobia and heterosexism, right? If I make that case, then it must be um, that girls, Black girls, are even more more vulnerable, um, particularly because of their age, right? Um, so here, um, I think in Amy's case, uh, that the kind of the pressures, the hostility of, of society, kind of weigh in on all of these the, these women's engagements. Whatever was at the core of the issue, whether it was a, a young man, whether it was um, just miscommunication between each other, and not being able to either have the resources to properly uh, speak to one another in love, care, and respect, or if it, there were other kind of pressures, right, that that push, push all of them into a, such a tight space where their only reaction or action to, to each other became uh, uh, violent. I think it's multiple issues at stake, as Liz named. And part of it is, for me, I'm thinking about ways in which intergenerational bonds between black women and girls is so important. Like, what about the mentoring programs and what about Mm -hmm. all of the ways in which black women teachers at that school could have intervened in some way? And of course, I'm not blaming, right, Mm -hmm. the black women that were not present because, of course, we are present and have been present and we are a part of organizing and creating space for our girls and ourselves to thrive and survive but I'm just wondering um, uh, why didn't some of those messages that have probably be, probably been conveyed to folks like Amy and and um, the, the other women who were in that bathroom on that day did not ring loud in their ears right and did not help them to remember um, that that we're, we're both a part of the same issues and why are we attacking each other um, so I think it is an outbreak right this this violence especially i mean it's disheartening right because mm-hmm. it is between right um um uh amy and other young black women who are probably at the same um facing the same kinds of issues whatever they are social issues um so it is troubling to consider that but i am also thinking about ways in which how can we strengthen intergenerational bonds so that the next amy um it won't be another amy Mm. 
this generation seems to be very much influenced by social media, the internet, and um, celebrities. And in something that I saw recently, it was saying, it made mention of Beyonce's Lemonade and its support for fighting over men in reference to, you know, the Becky with the good hair. So how much of a role do you think that like celebrities tv music impacts the behavior of the, of the girls and how do we or if we should we hold you know these celebrities accountable since uh, you know our young people do look up to them so i i personally i i mean before beyonce right before the becky before many of you know the the um cultural influences or the celebrity influences came about, I mean, I think these issues persisted. You know, I mean, these issues were there when my mama was a, a child and grandmother. You know, so, um, you know, I think much of it is just how girls, how we as girls are so are socialized. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and Melanie spoke to a lot of this. But even when I, talk, when I think about self-value, mm -hmm. right, many of us, uh, again, our socialization process right now, you know, forces us to put to attach our value to boys and to men you mm -hmm. know whether they like us whether they're looking at us you know um you know and etc it can go on you know so i i personally think in this in this um particular context i i don't know i i would not i would i would not say that you know beyonce this lemonade this becky thing had any influence on this from just what i've read and looking at these girls just in their own feedback through their social media accounts you know, um, it, it, this was, these girls were living in their own microcosmic world, right? And mm -hmm. was consumed by their own microcosmic issues um, in their particular context in their school, right? And so like Melanie said, whatever the root of, of the issue, whatever the root was, um, really dominated their whole lives. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and I say that to say because if you look at their social media, um, just, just with some of the things like I read, like I said, you know, this had been um building up and then the bathroom the fight that fight was like the culminating thing right mm. and you know i, I want to ask the two of you specifically like as it relates to black women because i hear that a lot of how black women compete against against each other i have experienced that in my entrepreneurial um journey in that some women automatically see me as competition so they don't see me as another sister doing the same thing that they're doing and how can we join together and empower each other but instead they see me immediately and I've literally had someone tell me before, you know, that I'm more than just your brown skin competition. You know, it's like we are we we immediately and I so won't say all of us, but some women immediately size other women up, you know, by, you know, is she, is she more attractive than I am? Is she smarter, you know, that, that I am like, you know, who's is she the light of the room that, you know, why is it or where do you think that came from that? Because I think if we can get past that we can prevent future cases like Amy. Because I think a lot of what these young women learn are, are from watching uh, yeah. women mm -hmm. and how we interact with each other. Yeah, I think, I, I definitely agree. I think that what kind of behaviors, speaking back to this intergenerational bonds, what kind of behaviors are women, black women modeling that either 
um, harm or either either liberate right our young black girls and encourage the kind of bonds that they have with each other as well as with us. But to your point, absolutely, I think that when there is only one seat at the table for black women, right, or one opportunity, um, then you have this feeling, right, even if it is realized or or something that is only kind of perceived in our own heads that if someone else, if it's only one available spot or one opportunity or one possibility for me to be, you know, on the next track for uh, what's best for, you know, that particular um, area or focus point or what have you, then there is a feeling that I have to uh, be out the next person. And this, again, is, you know, not to belabor this point, but this is certainly another product of oppression, right, that suggests that all of us cannot have equal opportunities, that there is no such thing as equal distribution. Um, And I think, again, fighting against ways in which these social oppressive systems have limited our resources, right, and have limited um, um, our ideas about what can happen for all of us. It really is, on the flip side of that, as persons who are concerned with resistance and survival, it really is the gathering together of women that makes us most powerful, like recognizing the fierceness in another and Mm-hmm. channeling that strength and utilizing it to make each other better is really what is going to impact if not put a dent if not dismantle these oppressive systems at work mm-hmm. you know and, and also recognizing that you know my the advancement of my sister is not it does not take away from me it's not a detriment to me you know, that I can be happy for her, you know, as she moves to that next level. You know, but also I'm thinking, too, um, in support of my sister, sometimes it even can look like me saying no mm-hmm. to an opportunity. And, yeah. and so I've, uh, I've actually personally experienced that, you know, because um, I'm, I'm a stickler for, um, you know, pulling my sister up, especially the sisters who I know do good work and are engaged in the work that I'm in. So I personally let go of opportunities and giving it to another sister who I know would, would um, do it more justice, right? Because oh. this is more in alignment with her work. And so, and I come from that space because I'm not threatened, right? Um, I've done a lot of work. And, and this looks like um, really deconstructing my own internalization because as Melanie speaks to, we're all, I would say, victims, you know, of, 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 these societal injustices, right? That puts that that puts these pressures on us. That puts us intentionally in conflict, right? And so, I mean, so for me personally, I am intentional about doing that daily deconstructing that that um the work to deconstruct my my own internalized stuff. So you know, I can look at my sister not as an enemy, you know, but as genuinely as my sister. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I, I just want to go back to that you mentioned, um, I can't remember if it was Melanie that mentioned it, whereas how women sometimes view themselves or see their value based on men, you know, based on, um, you know, how men view them. And if we had a men on this, uh, a man in this conversation, he would probably say that it's actually the reverse, that men see their value based on how they're viewed by women. And I don't think that a lot of women, especially girls, realize that. So in our program in IA Beauty, we always bring a man in to, and that's what that's the feedback we always get like you know 99% of the time is that especially at their age and what a lot of women don't even know that everything that men do men do for the um, attraction of a woman 
So from how they dress to wanting to have a good job to wanting to be polished and educated is all um, for the attention of women. So women, if you're listening, young girls, if you're listening, you know, we really control things that a relationship or really have more power than I think we ever um, sometimes realize. So don't don't see yourself or value yourself based on um, especially boys and um <laughs> these men so i mean wow we're at at like 10 minutes so i want to go ahead and, and and transition but i just wanted to we touched on a lot of different things that i think were were great and and how we can band together you know as women how we can mentor these these young women uh are there any other things that you think we can offer to prevent cases like this which happened to amy from happening again like how can people get to into action things that we haven't already mentioned i i mean this may seem cliche but definitely thinking about ways in which to channel our hostility to other people by seeking outside or other things than violence um if this if amy's situation did not result in a fight what kind of mediation what kind of discussion or conversation could have happened to prevent um such a violent attack that ultimately ended in uh you know demise mm. and then i and and uh, just to add on top of that you know i'm thinking now we have these three other children right these three children and i'm using children mm-hmm. intentionally to humanize these girls so we also have these three children right now, you know, who are facing some serious charges, you know, and, and what Melanie just mentioned, I think this is a great opportunity, you know, to um, take these children, you know, and, and say, look, in spite of what you did, and yes, you need to be held accountable, but it can look different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So instead of um, uh, putting you like, because mo- most likely they'll, they'll all go to jail, Right. And so just as a practitioner in the juvenile justice space, I know and and the field knows that, um, you know, jails do not help, you know, especially particularly juvenile facilities, um, though they're supposed to rehabilitate the data shows that young people, they come out worse. You know, so what would it look like if we practice redemption, right, or forgiveness with these three girls? And that can look like what what would restorative justice look like? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What would it look like to build them up internally, you know, um, literally um, um, uh, uplifting their self-esteem, their sense mm-hmm. of self, their self-value, just all these things. And then really giving them the tools to be leaders, you know, to be advocates about this issue, you know, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, um, penalizing them and, and, and uh, putting them into this violent system, you mm-hmm. know, so... Um, so when we talk about just in general, what are some strategies we can do to support our girls? We need to really build them up internally. Mm-hmm. And then once we do that, then they can see, they can begin to, 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 to humanize other girls. So violence, you know, um, inflicting violence wouldn't even be an option because mm-hmm. I, see my, I see myself in, in my sister. I recognize her humanity. Mm, well, I, you hit it right on the head, Liz. Um, one of the things that I'm actually committed to doing is I'm going to be going into schools doing um, Confidence is Queen Girl Talks, in which that's the focus to build them up internally, share my story, because I could have been Amy or I could have been one of those three girls, and that's for real. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, tr- let's transition and, uh, and hit on this Trump 
situation for our last couple of minutes. So Trump is the presumptive nominee, and I, I must admit, I'm, I'm shocked. And whether you're listening and like Hillary or Bernie, um, you know, this could be a, a seriously problematic situation because we're in an age now where I know Trump, I was listening to one of my, my nieces, and she, she's, you know, what, like seven years old, and like she's afraid that her Mexican and Muslim schoolmates are going to be sent away if he's mm-hmm. elected president because of something that he said. So quickly, I mean, what could Trump what could a Trump presidency mean for America? And like, what do we do <laughs> with <laughs> women <laughs> that, we, that we might potentially be given? Lord. Uh, well, immediately comes up, and I know, go ahead, Melanie, I'm going to give you No, no, go ahead, go ahead. But immediately ahead. comes up, I'm seeing images of, of Hitler. I'm seeing like Nazi <laughs> Germany, you know, and then when I, when I um, wink a little bit, if you really do wink a little bit and, and give him a little side eye, he kind of looks like that, you know, but in all seriousness, I mean, um, you know, it's seriously problematic, mm. you know what I mean? Um, and, and it is scary on so many levels just because of the, of the values that he openly um, expresses and that he himself possesses i mean he, he has built his flat p- platform and has gotten where he is now because of, of of racism and xenophobia and and sexism and and just all these um all the isms essentially you know and the fact that there is a segment of the population and i'm not surprised but i mean um yet in spite of you know because he is obviously unapologetic you know in 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 um running like he is i mean the fact that you know you still have a large segment of the population responsive to this and voting for him um i mean it sends it sends a loud message it Mm. sends a loud message for a man to you know publicly call um a senator goofy you know (laughs) and then begin to berate her via social media i mean you know to me is extremely disgusting and and do we really you know want somebody like this uh running this country well, let's not. We got four minutes, so I don't want to want to spend too much time on the lim- lemon. How do we make lemonade out of this situation? Um, I think it's obviously to get out and vote. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think what we learned from the 2008 and 2012 elections were that black women had the largest voter turnout. In 2016, what will matter is how black women utilize their political leverage in the polls, as well as how we cultivate uh, uh, new voters uh, through our mm-hmm. student voters and right. voters who have never voted but been but are eligible to vote in their states but have not taken this opportunity. That will um, be something that, again, black women have the political leverage to do, and we need to articulate that in the polls and seek justice for the issues that matter for our communities, uh, such as reproductive justice, such as issues uh, facing mass incarceration. These are things that we already know <laughs> Trump is not committed to. Um, so, <laughs> so knowing that, we need to use our political leverage in places where it will matter. Well, this has been a great show, ladies. Any last-minute takeaways in, like, 20 seconds or less that, you know, how do we deal with lemonades of life? Any advice you have based on our discussion is even for our listeners. Redeem, reclaim ourselves, speak our truth, get whole, get free, (laughs) um, (laughs) and uh, be nonviolent if we can. I love that. Liz, anything? You know, I second that. I second that because our daughters (laughs) are watching. And our sons, too. So so there we go. So how can our listeners find you both? Um, 
Is there a way we can keep up with you? I know, Liz, you're sometimes on for Harriet. I, I know you've um you have a great article out there. Um, yeah, sure, sure. sure. How do they get in contact with you? Sure, sure. So, you know, folks can, um, you know, look me up um, on uh, Facebook, Liz S. Alexander. Definitely check out my um, my purpose work, She Dreams of Freedom, where I, I um, spread awareness about the plight of girls in the juvenile justice system. Follow me on Twitter at Radical Wholeness. And, and definitely check out For Harry. I'm a contributing writer there, and I'm a contributing writer for the Juvenile Justice Information Exchange. So go on those sites, look at, you know, read the articles, read the information, and definitely get into the conversation. Absolutely. And I, you can find me, Melanie, um, on Facebook at Melanie Jones, on Twitter at Melanie underscore C Jones, or um, for some of my work in Black Women's Body Politics on Twitter at BWB Politics. Um, and I'm a contributing writer for HuffPost. Um, so definitely look me up in any of those spaces. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening tonight. You can find out all our happenings, especially about our Summer Leadership Academy happening at Georgia State University for girls 14 to 18 years old, July 10th through the 17th. You can go to IamBeautyInc.com, follow us on Instagram, IamBeautyInc underscore, and like our Facebook page, IamBeautyInc. You can click on our calendar on our website and find out all the new things that are happening. Share our posts, tell somebody about us in the show. Join us next week, same place, same time. Tell a friend. And remember, I believe that if life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade and try to find somebody whose life has given them vodka and have a party. Ron White. Good night, everyone. Until we meet again, be beauty.